Mark chapter 2 this morning. In God's precious word, uh, man, let's just, let's open up with prayer. Let's do that. Let's just join our hearts in prayer. God, we thank you because you are a good, good father. God, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die in our place, to offer his life as a ransom for many. God, we thank you for the opportunity that we can come today and we can open up your word and we can be encouraged because of your word. We can be challenged because of your word. And so, Father, I just pray that you would allow your word to fall upon the good soil of our hearts. God, that we might, that we might desire to live a life that brings you honor and glory. God, I pray that if there's someone in this room or somebody listening online that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that today would be that day that they place their faith in the risen Savior of the world. God, I pray that our hearts would be open, our minds would be receptive in the next few moments of time. God, I pray that you'll bless us as we uh, look at what you have to say for us today. And we'll give you the praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past uh, month, we've been uh, discussing various aspects of faith. Obviously, we're drawing closer to our missions revival. And so I've been trying to challenge each of us, you know, really encourage us, but also challenge us uh, to either... One of two things, either begin a, a, a life of faith, either begin that journey of faith, get in, trust Christ as our Savior, or to continue living a life of faith. In fact, four weeks ago, we started this kind of transition where we moved our, our topics, and um, I talked to you about the, the idea that faith actually sees what cannot be seen. And then the next week, we followed it up, and we were talking about great faith, and, you know, I told you that a lot of pastors and teachers don't want to encourage people to live a life of great faith. They say, oh, no, 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 it's only mentioned twice in the Bible. Let's just be faithful. No, let's, let's aim at something and try and hit it. Let's live a life of great faith like that, that uh, woman from Canaan that came to Jesus. You remember the last thing she said after Jesus had turned her away a couple of times, the disciples were like, no, don't deal with her, don't deal with her. She gets on her knees and she's worshiping Jesus and she says, Lord... Literally, her words, Lord, help me. Great humility was what preceded her great faith. And then we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, we, uh, two weeks ago, we were talking about how Peter uh, and Andrew and James and John, sons of Zebedee, they had had this night where they had caught nothing. And then they come and Jesus is there by the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching and he tells Peter, he says, launch out in the deep for a draught. And, and it's like the worst night they've ever had fishing and then the carpenter tells the professional fisherman to act in faith and to launch out into the deep. And so we talked about that. And then last week we had our special guest here who basically really hit it right on the head and asked us to ask ourselves the question, what is our attitude when it comes to the gospel? What is your attitude? What is my attitude when it comes to sending the gospel out? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about a faith that lives out loud. Really, that's the topic, that's the title of my message of faith that lives out loud. And I want to ask ourselves a question as we begin. I want you to ask yourself the question, what does, ask yourself this, what does my faith say? Does my faith actually have something to say? Is it speaking or is my faith for the most part silent? You know, uh, does my lifestyle, here's another way of looking at it, does my lifestyle actually match the faith that I say that I have? And so what does my faith say? 
And before we go to our text uh, this morning in Mark chapter 2, I'm going to flip over because I want you to see something uh, in uh, James. In James chapter 2, James offers us a sobering thought in verse number 17 of James chapter 2. He says this, he says, even so faith... If it hath not works, is dead being alone. Now, don't misunderstand. Don't misunderstand what James is saying. He's not telling us that you and I are saved by good deeds. He's not saying that we're saved by our works. Certainly, that's not the case. But what he's saying is that if the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence in our hearts and lives, then what James is saying is there's going to be proof of it. He says, if you say you have faith and you don't have works, if there's nothing, if there's nothing following the faith that you say that you have, then he says it's dead. He says it's worthless, it's useless. And so we know from Scripture, it's crystal clear. And this is, I want to share this. Scripture's crystal clear. We know that uh, we are saved by the grace of God. Thank you for saying amen. We're saved by the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Verse 9 goes on and says, Not of works, lest any man should boast. And so James here in James chapter 2 is stating that real faith, a faith that lives out loud if you please, he says a real faith is going to be evidenced in our lives by more than just what you and I think. A real faith or a faith that lives out loud is going to be evidenced by more than what we think, more than just our words, more than just what we say we believe, more than just feelings. Anybody ever go into a service and, and you start feeling the Holy Spirit's presence, you're singing and we're worshiping and, and we're singing and then all of a sudden the song comes to an end and you're like, okay, I've had my time of worship for the day. Wrong, wrong. We have so many other opportunities and ways that we can worship God. We worship Him through the study of His Word. We worship Him when we get on our knees and we pray and we seek His face. We worship Him when we walk out this building and we live a life that brings Him honor and glory. Oh yeah, real faith, the faith that lives out loud is going to be demonstrated by what we do. I like what pastor and teacher Warren Wearsby said. He said this, he said, No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220 volt wire and remain the same. No man can come to Christ by faith and remain the same any more than he can come into contact with a 220 volt wire and remain the same. Listen, he's right. Such is the case. Such is the case in this incredible story of four men. By the way, does anybody know the men's names? No. All we know is these are unnamed men and they bring this man to Jesus. They were men who lived their faith out loud. And so my prayer this morning is that everyone in this room, anyone that's listening would, first of all, my prayer is always that you be saved. Hold on a second. Luke 15 tells us there's joy in the presence of angels over one sinner that repents. And I say that my prayer is that first you be saved and five people say amen. Listen, we ought to be asking and praying and asking God to save souls every time we get together. Absolutely. Listen, without Christ, we're all men and women most miserable, as Paul told the church at Corinth. But listen, I know this thing, it's like some people say, oh, well, your faith, your, your prayer is that I be saved. I say, why wait? Why wait till tomorrow? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Listen, the Bible also reminds me that we're not to boast thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. None of us have a blank check 
on tomorrow. And so I, I pray that people be saved. But also my prayer today and desire is that all of us would endeavor to live a life, a life that lives our faith out loud. The Apostle Paul writes in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is all uh, doctrine. He's, he's given us doctrine in chapters 1, 2, and 3. When you get to chapter 4, 5, and 6, it's time for practical application. And the very first verse of Ephesians chapter 4 says, Therefore, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy, right? Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying to the saints at Ephesus, and he's saying to you and I as believers today, that you and I are to live our faith in a way that emulates the virtues that actually puts on display the characteristics or qualities of him that called us. Who called us? Who called us? Look at 1 Peter 2. Let me help you with this. 1 Peter 2, verse number 9. Guys, if you can show that verse. 1 Peter 2, verse number 9. The Bible says, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now we understand Peter's writing to the Jews who are dispersed all around the region at that time. But it's still applicable for us today. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him. Who's the him? Jesus. Of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen, everything that I do, everything that we do, everything that you do, everything that a believer does should be done for one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus. Everything should point to Jesus. If we're living our life in a way that's contradictory to the faith that we say we have, we're in trouble. Because guess what? If you're living in a way that seems kooky to the world, it's not really Christian, but it seems kooky, the world is not going to want Jesus. The world is going to look at you and I and they're going to, oh, there goes kooky bird again, right? We, that's why we have to live out our faith in a way that is emulating what Jesus Christ did. And so look with me in Mark chapter 2 this morning at our text. I'm going to give you three things. I'll tell you at the beginning, this message took on a whole new flavor. I... Travis and I were talking about this this week and we were looking at all kind of things and, and this message is taking a whole new direction but here's what I want you to see. In order to have a faith that lives out loud we need to realize first and foremost if you're a note taker that the Savior must be preeminent. The Savior must be preeminent. If, if you're going to live your faith out in a way that others are going to be attracted to Jesus Christ then Jesus has to be number one in your life. He has to be preeminent. Notice what the Bible says here in verse 1 and 2 of Mark chapter 2. It says, and again, he entered into Capernaum. At this time and place, Jesus has probably been out teaching for about a year now. In Mark chapter 1, we know that he's in Peter's house and then he goes out. He heals the man. Remember, he heals the leper and he tells the leper at the end of Mark chapter 1, he says, hey, don't tell anybody, but go to the priest and show yourself and fulfill the law of Moses, right? He says, don't, don't let anybody know what's going on. What does the guy do? He goes out everywhere and starts telling people about Jesus, right? He's like, Jesus healed me. Jesus healed me. And so from that point on, people are like clamoring to heal Jesus. And so we get back to chapter 2 and verse number 1. It says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days. And it was noise that he was in the house. My supposition is that he's right back at Peter and Andrew's house. He's right back in the same place. And so everybody's like, he's back. And so guess what happens? 
from every town, every village, every suburb of Capernaum, they all come running. Notice it says, and it was noised that he was in the house. Verse number two, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And notice what Jesus does. He preached the word unto them. See, word spread that Jesus is back in town. Everybody comes to hear and to see. And I'm guessing that the, of the group that have come to see him, there's some that want to come for the ministry, right? There's some that want him to what? Heal him. They're like, oh, Jesus is back. Let's go get healed. Oh, Jesus is back. Let's go see what he has to say. And if you're on the other side of the aisle, by the way, the word of God is going to affect you one way or the other. You're either going to be drawn to Christ or you're going to be drawn further away from him, right? And so... He, he's there in the house, and so I'm guessing there's some scribes and some Pharisees that are in there. And so Jesus is having a big old smash buckler of time, and notice the first thing he does. He keeps first things first is our theme for missions. Notice, it says, and he preached the word unto them. He proclaims the word of God to everybody that's in the house. The place is packed. Folks, before you and I can live our faith out loud, people are going to have to know exactly where you and I stand. On Jesus. People are going to, listen, I can't go out of this place and live my faith out loud if you don't know that I actually have faith. You see, it, it, living a life of faith is not about playing this game called hide and seek or undercover brother. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm just, I'm just an undercover brother Christian. No, you need to be an out loud Christian. You need to be living your life in a way that draws people to Christ. Someone has said this. Someone has said there's a difference in Jesus being prominent in our life and being preeminent in our life. You see, the word prominent means to be important. If Jesus is prominent in your life, he's important. But you know what? Here's one thing I know. If he's important amongst a whole list of other things that you consider important, you might make time for him every once in a while. But if Jesus is preeminent in your life, that means he's greatest. He is the greatest in your life. When Jesus is preeminent, we're going to see him as being higher than the highest. We're going to see him as being greater than the great. Listen, when Jesus is preeminent to us, he is going to surpass all others. I want you to see something. Guys, if you'll show uh, Colossians 1, verse number 15. And we're jumping in the middle of an introductory text from the Apostle Paul to the church at Coloss. And notice, Paul's talking about Jesus, who is and always will be, by the way, the image or the visible representation of the invisible God. Back in this era, they would have a coin. And on the coin, it would have the image of Caesar on the coin. You remember the scribes, Pharisees, they came and asked him, hey, what say you about giving to Caesar? And Jesus says, hey, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And so this coin would have an image of Caesar because most common people would not know what Caesar looked like. And so they were able to take out the coin and look at the coin and see a representation of what Caesar actually looked like. Now let's stop the press for a second. If you and I have the wrong idea or the wrong image of what Jesus is all about, then we're going to have the wrong image and the wrong idea of what God is all about. Did you hear me? If we have a wrong idea or the wrong image of Jesus in our lives, then we're going to have a wrong idea or a wrong concept of what God is all about. Look in, uh, show verses 16 and following of Colossians 1. 
in Colossians 1, verse 16 and following, the Bible says this, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have, what's the word? Preeminence. In all things he might have the preeminence. What the scripture is teaching you and I today is that Jesus is above all, he's over all, he's in control of all. And as Acts chapter 20, verse number 36, the apostle Paul said, he's Lord of all. And here's, here's the rub. Here's the rub. If, if you're not a child of God this morning and you're just searching Jesus for the first time in your life, he's Lord of all, whether you believe it or not. One day the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, yes, he's, he's above all, he's over all, he's in control of all, and he is the Lord of all. In fact, John chapter 1 in John chapter 1, verse number 18, the Bible declares this. It says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, He's speaking of Jesus, He's the one that hath declared Him. In John chapter 14, you know, Philip, he is asking Jesus, and he says, he says, Hey, Jesus, uh, he's asking on behalf of himself and the other disciples, he says, Show us the Father. He says, will you show us the Father? And then in verse number 9 of that passage, Jesus says, he that has seen me. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the representation of the invisible God, Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 3, the Bible reminds us that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. Look right there, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory in the expressed image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Oh, listen, he upholds all things by the word of his power. I was telling our Bible study group this morning that I like, uh, you know, last week Brother Bender was using uh, Matthew chapter 28 and he reminded us, that in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 18, that it's Jesus who says, hey, by the way, I'm not only sending you out, I'm not only telling you to go into all nations and teach them to observe all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and, and all these things. He says, I'm not just asking you to do that. He says, I I'm going to preface this by saying, all power has been given to me. You're going to be able to go out and do these things because I am the one that is going to infuse you with my power. I think about the prophet Isaiah this week. I was, uh, was, as I was meditating on this, I was thinking about the prophet Isaiah, who in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, you remember when he sees the Lord high and lifted up. It's just a few verses later. What does Isaiah say? He says, woe is me. He had a right understanding of who God was. It changed even his perspective on the greatness of God. Guys, when Jesus is number one in my life, and I'll put the onus on me. When he's number one on my, in my life, right? Now think about it in your aspect. But in, when he's number one in my life, I'm going to just not be talking about him. 
I'm just not going to sit around and talk about Jesus, right? I'm going to be doing more than that. I will be talking about him, I'll be seeking to know him, and I'm going to be diligently sharing him with people that I come into contact with. If he's, if he's number one, if he's not number one, if he's just someone who's prominent in my life and he's not preeminent, that might not be the case. It might be the case like on Sunday when I see somebody after church in a restaurant or in the gas station or in the marketplace, I say, oh, they, they see me and they say, where were you? Oh, I was, I was over at the church worshiping uh, this morning. Who are you worshiping? Sometimes we're afraid to even say the name of Jesus these days. It's like, who are you worshiping? Well, uh, worshiping God. No, we're worshiping Jesus. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is exactly, I believe that these men who, who inter, intervene in this, this man, this man who's paralytic, I believe that they obviously had already exercised great faith, that they had believed and put their trust in Christ because they think it's pretty important to bring him to Jesus, right? And so I believe that he was preeminent in their life. And so a faith that lives out loud the Savior is going to be preeminent. This, the second thing that I see is that if we're going to have a faith that lives out loud, look back at Mark chapter 2. If we're going to have a faith that lives out loud, we're going to realize that the Scripture must be preached. The Scripture must be preached. The Bible says in verse number 2, And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Two weeks ago I shared, and guys, if you'll put it up there, Hebrews chapter 4. I shared with you Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, that reminds us that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now what I want to remind you is that as we looked at it, for the word of God is quick, that means it's alive. The word of God is powerful. That means that it's not only alive, it's going to be active, right? It's going to do something. The word of God is alive, it's active, it's sharper. It, it, it's, it's better than the Ginsu knife set, right? Some of you have been using the Ginsus for years. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces or it penetrates. It, it digs deep into the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And then I like what it says there. It says, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. That word discerner means that it is a knower. It's a revealer of the heart. Oh yeah, God's word is going to make a difference. The word of God searches our heart. And a faith that lives out loud knows that when we get the word of God to a person that spiritually needs it, it's the word of God that changes lives. Listen, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, you were wooed by the Holy Spirit of God, and it was the Word of God that changed your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, why we send missionaries all around the world, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. Say, my life was changed by the Word of God. My life was changed by the Word of God. Your life wasn't changed by me or anybody else. Our life was changed because of what Jesus did, and the only way that you and I know what Jesus did was by the Word of God. Listen, it's so important that we understand the power of the Scriptures. But here's the thing. The opposite's true. Where there's the Word of God, things begin to change. Where there's no Word, things don't change. This man was destitute. He had no hope. He was like the man laying by the pool of Siloam. 
Remember, he had been waiting there for years and years. In John chapter 5, he's waiting to, to, for somebody to move him when the water stirs so that he could be healed. He has no hope unless somebody puts him in the water. The same thing's true with this man who's sick of the palsy. But these four men knew that Jesus was in town, and they obviously knew that he was preaching the word of God. And so you know what they said? They said, one, Jesus is here. Two, we hear that he's over at Peter's house again. We hear that he's preaching the word of God. And you, sir, need Jesus. So guess what? This is what they did. They pick him up and they take him to Jesus. Amen. Isaiah chapter 55 reminds us that the Lord said his word would never return void, but would accomplish exactly, exactly what he desires it to do. You and I, we must be intentional about bringing people to Jesus and we must be intentional about proclaiming his word. One thing I know is that these guys, they didn't know everything, but they knew enough. They knew enough to bring their friend to Jesus. You say, where are you going? I'll be right back. They knew enough to bring their friend to Jesus. Now, here's where I need a little help. Yes, teenagers, I need your help. Let's see. Who wants to be my patient? All right, come on, Zach. Zach, we're going to strap you in right here. Get in there, big boy. All right. Hey, by the way, mom and dad, is this okay? <laughs> Let's get, you all heard, they said it's okay. How you feeling there? You're not sure, are you? You're not sure, are you? All right, I'm going to leave this down. I'm not going to strap your face in. All right. Although it might be fun. Now I need four people. Four people who think they can carry Zach who have muscles big enough to carry Zach. Trev, you, you got it going on? Do I have any men that have muscles that want to get in on this? You want to get in on it? All right. Who else? All right, Greg, come on over here. So, all right, all right, Dad, you come on. You can make sure your son doesn't fall. All right? So <laughs> here's our patient. If you guys could see what I see. <laughs> hey, can you imagine? Hold on a second, and I'll get there in just a second. Can you imagine when Jesus looked down and saw the man with the palsy, what he thought? All right, there's handles on each side. You guys grab this. And I just want you to go walking across the auditorium for a ways. Yeah, so walk around. You see, because a faith that lives out loud, guys, here's the, here's the thing. A faith that lives out loud understands that the Savior of the world must be preeminent. A, savior, a, a faith that lives out loud is also going to know that the Scripture must be preached, but a faith that lives out loud must always, always make the sinner a priority. The sinner has to be a priority. If you're going to live your faith out loud, if you're going to do more than talk about it, if you're going to be doing more than just, you know, I meet a lot of theologically sound people that say, man, pastor, I read this the other day. That's great, but how many people have you told what Jesus did? Hey, why don't you guys come back down this aisle? You guys are taking too easy. Keep walking around with this guy. Notice what the Bible says in Mark chapter 2. Ignore these men who are carrying their friend to Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 2 in verse 3, 4, and 5. Notice the word they. 
Over and over it says, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven. They didn't let the press stop them. They didn't, and when I mean press, I'm not talking about CNN, Fox, or any other. I'm talking about the people that are gathered. They didn't let that stop him. They didn't get to the door and say, well, we tried. They didn't get to the window and say, can't get through the window. You know what they did? In that time, the structures of homes, thank you guys, and you can let him out of his bed there. The structure of the home would have been a flat roof and there typically would have been a stairwell or a ladder well that would run up to the top of the house and the roof would have had these tiles thatched with mud and grass and everything in it. And so these guys said, you know what? We got to get this man to Jesus some way and there's so many people gathered around. How are we going to do it? And so guess what? They said, let's go rip off Peter's roof. They pulled back the roof and they lower this man down to Jesus. Notice what it says here. It says, and when Jesus saw their faith, in verse number 5, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Folks, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, our spiritual journey can become quite selfish. Right? It can become quite selfish. Even though Paul admonishes in Philippians 2, we know that Paul admonishes to look on the things or the needs of others. If we don't do that, sometimes our faith journey can be more about me, myself, and I than anybody else. But these men who were carrying this man to Jesus, they get it right. They understood that the only one that could meet his need was Jesus. Jesus is preaching the word and he looks up. Can you imagine the scene? He looks up and here comes this, this, this cot being lowered down in front of him. I can't even imagine what's going on. I can imagine the scribes and Pharisees are like, really? Really, you're interrupting? We're about ready to corner him. We're about ready to, to really to show everybody who Jesus really is not. And you interrupt his teaching. I can imagine the people who are wanting to be healed who got there early. They got there two and three hours early, right? They got their ticket to see Jesus and they're standing outside. They're like, whoa, 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 no cutsies. We're waiting to be healed first. How, did you, how dare you cut in front of us? Can you imagine the different thoughts that are going on? And these guys lower him to Jesus. And what I see is that these men were deeply concerned about this man. They didn't just sit around talking about it. They didn't sit around feeling sorry for him. They banded together and they came up with a strategy. And the only strategy that I find in Scripture that these guys found that worked was Jesus. Here's my strategy. You, you have no hope except for Jesus. You're never, you'll never be healed. You'll never come to faith in Christ because no one's going to take you to Christ. But he's back in town. And so we're going to bring you to Christ ourselves because it's that important to us. Let me ask you a question. How important is it to you and I that other people hear about Jesus? Is it important? Is Jesus prominent? Or is he truly preeminent in our lives? You see, I believe they understood that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of things not seen. I believe they had a faith that could see what nobody else could see. I also believe that these men absolutely understood what the writer of Hebrews said when he said in verse number 6 that uh, without faith it's impossible to please God because he that, uh, uh, that, that he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. 
Oh, these men worked together and they dared to do something big for God. And that's what happens when faith is being lived out loud. I think about William Carey, that missionary of the 1700s, the late 1700s, went to India. They didn't even want him to go. And then 40-some years, 41-plus years later, he's in India. He said these words. He said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. The palsied man had no way to get to Jesus. But these four men understood that teamwork actually does make the dream work. They banded together and they did something for this man. And verse number 5 reminds us that Jesus rewards their faith. He looks at him and, and notice verse 5. Verse 5 again of our text. It says, when Jesus saw their faith. I believe the, the man of the palsy is included in this. But he, he sees their faith. The collective faith of the four that are involved in bringing this man. They're like, these guys must have some incredible faith to bring this guy who knows how far they carried him to this house? They must have some incredible faith to believe that just by lowering this guy through the roof that I'm going to do anything. And when he sees their great faith, he rewards their faith. You know what he, I see? He ignores the four men. After that, he speaks directly to the man who's sick of the palsy. Notice it says, son. doesn't say, oh, hey, all you guys, congratulations. He looks to the one who's sick of the palsy and he says, son, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Guys, when faith is being lived out loud, it becomes unstoppable. The faith of the four had become contagious to this man. The story reveals that they would not be detoured from their purpose. How much does it take to deter us from our purpose in sharing the gospel? By the way, Jesus, the reason he came was for sinners. Did you know the reason that he was born of a virgin? Galatians 4.4 tells us that in the fullness of time, God sent his son being born of a virgin. The reason he came was to seek and to save that which was lost. In fact, that's what Luke 19.10 says. In Luke chapter 5, verse number 32, Jesus says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Paul reminded Timothy of this truth in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, when he said, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world. Why did he come into the world? To save sinners. And then Paul said, Of whom I'm chief. I'm the worst. Paul had understood. He said that if Jesus would have come just for him, he would have still come. Because he said, I'm the worst of all sinners. Just as the Father sent Jesus Christ to save sinners, John chapter 20 and verse number 21, when he's meeting the second time with his disciples there, Jesus says that even so I send you. Listen, he's sending, he's called us, he's sending every one of us, every believer to go out and to share the love and the truth of the gospel with those who still need to hear. Can you imagine? I wonder what this man would have been thinking. I wonder how many people ever came by to visit the guy who was sick of the palsy. See, I, I'm, I'm kind of weird. I start to ask myself questions that we can't even find in Scripture. I wonder how long he had been sick of the palsy. I wonder how long he had been a paralytic. I wonder how long he lied there with nobody coming by to check on him. No home visits, no home care. There wasn't hospice. There was no, no ability to do that, right? I wonder how long he lied there in his destitute state before these four men convinced him that the only hope for him was Jesus. I wonder about the people that we know that need Jesus. In the midst of it all, when Jesus looks down, he sees this helpless man 
laying on his mat. By the way, if you do a further study of the reason why this guy's laying on a mat, it will tell you that this guy was not a man of means. He was a poor man. He had no ability to, to pay for things, right? And so this guy is in distress. I wonder what was going through his mind and his heart. You may be here this morning and if you'd be honest with yourself and you'd be honest with God, you may be lying on your proverbial mat this morning. You may be one that's sitting here and saying, I've never had anybody carry me to Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning. Oh, he's right here. All you have to do is place your faith in the risen Savior of the, of the world, Jesus Christ the righteous. Listen, truth is, there's nothing that you and I could ever do that will save us. By the way, I'm thankful that I don't have to earn my salvation. It's already been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. Right? There's not, I couldn't do enough good deeds to earn forgiveness of sin. I couldn't do enough good deeds to earn eternity with the Lord. But He saved us. There's nothing that we can do, but He's done everything. The correct response would be like, well, I'm lying on my proverbial mat, but I've never asked this question, but Pastor... What must I do to be saved? I'm glad you asked. Just like the Philippian jailer asked that question of Paul and Silas. You know what their answer was? Believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. And actually they told the Philippian jailer that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will you be saved, but more than likely your whole household will be saved. It's going to affect your family if you enter into this relationship with the Lord. Listen, payment for my sin and your sin has already been made. We need only place our faith and trust in the forgiveness of sin. Having a godly mother, a godly father, I was thinking about this. You know, a lot of people say, well, I was born into a godly family. Congratulations. So was I. Having a godly mother ain't taking me to heaven. Having a godly father ain't getting me to heaven. Having a godly boyfriend, a godly girlfriend ain't taking me to heaven. You say, hey, I got some really neat friends at school, man. I go to a, a great school and I got a lot of Christian friends. Good on you. That ain't getting you to heaven. The only way that I get to heaven, the only way that you or anyone gets to heaven is when we repent of our sins and we call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. We ask, we say, Jesus, I'm a wreck. Jesus, I'm a wreck and I need you to forgive me of my sinfulness. That's pretty much it. Most people don't like that message, but that's pretty much it. When we recognize that we're a sinner, when we understand who Jesus is, and we call out on, call out on the name of the Lord for salvation, that's when he enters into our life. He begins to do a work inside, and it manifests itself from the inside out, not the outside in. And so maybe you're laying in your proverbial mat today, and you've never done it. You've been playing church. You've been thinking about God. You've been talking about God. You may even read about God, but you've never placed your faith in God. I want to beg you, don't walk out these doors without Jesus. And then maybe you're here, and you would say, you know what? If I'm honest, I haven't been living my faith out loud. I've been more like a hide-and-seek Christian. I've been hiding my faith. Jesus really isn't preeminent in my life. I'd ask you to do what we all have to do when we sin, and that's repent. Ask God to forgive you of that. Say, God, help, help, me to, help me to cultivate this relationship with you. Help me to open, open up my heart that I might fall more in love with you today than I was yesterday. Listen, if you're further away from God today than you were a year ago, from a year ago 
then you need to cultivate that relationship again. Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't preeminent. Maybe you've forgotten the importance of the Scripture. And maybe you've forgotten the importance of other sinners, just like me and just like you. That's why we have missions revival. That's why we, have, uh, that's why we put up these decorations, not just for fun. We don't, we don't do this just for fun. We do it because we want to refocus our minds and our hearts on the need that exists all around the world. There are people that are dying, and without the gospel, without understanding who Jesus is, without coming to faith in Christ, I can tell you they will spend an eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell. I don't want anybody to go to a place called hell, let alone in this room or anybody listening. And so maybe you need to ask God to just begin to rekindle that fire in your heart. Maybe you need to place your faith in Christ. I don't know what it is, but today I'm asking you, don't leave this place without Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.